0: It's uh, great to be with you this morning. Uh, While we were, my wife and I, while we were on our our trip to the U.S., I picked up a a book at a bookstore. I love to read biographies, and so I grabbed a a biography of uh, Michael Jordan. Uh, You know Michael Jordan? Familiar? Second greatest player of all time, basketball. Kind of to LeBron James, number one, of course. But um, anyway, just kidding. (laughs) Arguments, fun to have arguments. And um, anyway... uh, So I grabbed this book, and it was fun to kind of read. I love to read people's stories, what they're like growing up. Michael Jordan was kind of famous and renowned for because he was, uh, you know, probably the greatest of all time. And he was renowned for his trash-talking. He was uh, known as someone who would always talk during games. He would trash-talk. Pastor Ryan's a bit like this when he plays. Um, I'm more humble and things, but just (laughs) kidding. (laughs) I'm like, you're doing it now. Anyway, um, but... He 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 would always kind of you know talk confidently. And so when Michael Jordan first got recruited uh, to play university at the University of North Carolina, and he got recruited to play people didn't expect you know this guy's going to become the greatest of all time. He was just another kid. Uh, I mean, he was good, but he was on this team that people back home thought, I don't know why you went there. You're never going to play. But one of the things that all the players on the team remembered was that even when he came in as like an 18-year-old, he was just constantly uh, running his mouth talking about, you know, kind of talking trash, as you know how that kind of goes in sports, how great this and that. Now, end of his freshman year, his team makes it to the championship game. They're down to the very last few seconds of the game. Not only has he started to play a lot, he's playing a significant role on the team, and in the last few seconds of the game, he gets to take one of the final shots of the game to win the game and the first ever championship for the University of North Carolina. It's an iconic shot. You may have seen footage of it. Now, guess what happened? The next year when he came back to school, how do you think his talking went then? Everyone said, if you thought it was bad before, it's off the charts now. <laughs> there was guys on the team, they were like, man, we thought he was talking, but the guy, and it, you know why, and why did he talk to me? Because he had this crazy confidence in his abilities. And when he got to the NBA, he was known for it, and he would tell players, and they used to drive players crazy, and they'll tell stories about how he'd be in a game and tell you, Well, you're defending him, and he'd tell you, like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go left, I'm going to pull up, stop, turn around, and hit a shot over you. And then he would go left, stop, pull around, you know, shot over you. And it just drove people crazy. (laughs) Because it was like he just did what he said he was going to do, because he was just... And he had this unbelievable confidence in himself. Now, what we've been talking about, if you're here last week, and this is kind of part two of this series in Romans 5 called Getting Your Boast On... Now, the, the point is not that we wanna become people who talk like that, but there's a little snapshot. The thing I love about that story is you go, you know, uh, we all know what it's like. Sometimes I think, I- I'd love to know what it'd be like to walk on a basketball court and just walk on, knowing without fail, with total certainty, I'm gonna do whatever I want on this basketball court. I- I'm gonna beat you, I'm gonna go past you, I'm gonna jump higher, run faster. You know, the only time I get to experience that is playing against my eight-year-old son. And that's, <laughs> And to be honest, it's amazing. Gives you a little taste, and it's good. I, I enjoy it. I don't know what it is. I don't know if other dads, as Father's Day, if you have this, like, you know, you have like a kid, and they're putting up a shot, and you just can't resist just swatting it. And you're just like, ah, it's just too easy. It's right there, and you just want to, and it's just amazing. And you're like, yep, yeah, this is what it'd be like playing a little eight-foot rim so he can make shots, and you're dunking in his face. Oh, it's just, so I do wonder about it, and then that's the one spot I get to, but here's, you know, can I, I wonder what it'd be like to go up against someone my own height <laughs> on a full rim, be able to do, but, you know, because I think you'd probably walk a little different. I think you'd feel a little different. I think you'd have a, a confidence. Now, here's what we're talking about in this Romans 5, about getting our boast on. It's not about a confidence that's born of our own abilities and skill. It, it has zero to do with that. It's not about talking trash, but it's about knowing something changes when you have an incredibly high degree of confidence in something. In Romans chapter five, we saw this word last week, we're gonna finish this kind of picture day part two. We saw this word, kakathema. And this is a word that gets used in Romans chapter five that talks about what it gets, a word that gets translated to boast in, it's a word that gets translated to rejoice, it's a word that gets translated to glory in. And it's a picture of what it looks like to Walk with Christ in such a way that you have this unusually high degree of confidence in who he is and what he's done for you. And when you have that unusually high degree of confidence in this is who Christ is, this is what he's done for me, it cannot help but express itself in the way you live, in the way you walk, in the way you carry yourself. I believe and we'll see today in the way you treat other people, in the way you act. And it's a confidence born, not at all, of ourselves. That's why we can actually have a certain confidence because it's not about us and it's all about Christ. And we're going to see that this is actually something of what the, the demeanor of our life should look like when we are in Christ. That we should have this, there should be kind of that we stand a little taller, we walk a little different. There's a joy, there's a peace, there is a, a grace that's with us that is just different. And it's, it just can't, we can't help but express it in the way we live, and the way we walk, the way we talk, all these things. And what we're going to look at today is that one of the absolute keys to really, Living and walking in this is that we must understand the nature, the essence of God's grace toward us. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 picks up the, the second half of this passage, and it says this. He says, and he's gonna talk here. You, this may feel a little confusing at first, but what Paul is gonna do is he's gonna quickly sort of unpack for us sort of the nature of sin. And how it came to be in the world, the nature of its consequences, its effects as it came through Adam who acted as a representative of humanity and chose sin. He says this, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sin. So this starting point, he wants us to kind of wrap our minds around this. And this may seem like, okay, how is this going to relate to Joyce? He wants us to understand something the nature of sin. That sin is a reality. Everything you see on the evening news that makes you want to shake your fist and say this is not how the world is meant to be, that is sin. It has invaded the world. Death has come into the world through sin. And we all intrinsically know there's just something wrong. Paul goes on in verse 14, we're going to pick it up. And he says, as he continues to unpack this, he says, Nevertheless... He's been unpacking some of the Old Testament, how law, how it functioned to help us understand what sin is. And he says, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, he was given a command, he broke it. But Adam was a pattern of the one who is to come. And that pattern is that just as Adam once represented humanity, one day Christ will then and does and has represented humanity in His choice to be obedient to the Father. And what Paul wants us to get here is the incredible nature, the far-reaching consequences of sin in our lives and in this world. He says, "Death reigned." Death, and, and right now, according to scriptures, up until time, of Christ, death reigns. Have you ever heard the saying? There's only two things in life you can be certain of. Death and taxes. Those two things are not optional. Uh, They're just, you know, you could try to cheat, eventually you'll pay him. You could think that death won't, death, it reigns. The word reign means it is, its authority is unquestioned. None of us even question whether death is a reality. We don't wonder, gee, I wonder. I mean, from what I can see, death has visited just about every other human. I wonder if my life will somehow be different. No, death reigns. And the scriptures tell us it reigns as a consequence of sin. That sin, through that choice, it entered, it, it literally, what it means, it invaded the world. And it's now, you know, it runs rampant. We, we see the effects of sin. You know what Paul wants us to get here is that sin, this is no small thing. And sometimes we might like to kind of picture God and and, and sort of think, you know, God's like this grandfather up there. And when we do something wrong, we're we're sort of hopeful. God, it's not a big deal, right? And we hope he'll just be like, yeah, no big deal. That's fine. No big deal. No, that's not who God is. He's perfect. He's holy. And sin's consequences are wreaking havoc, as Romans 8 would say, on the whole of creation. It, It is the whole creation, Romans 8, Paul says, is groaning because of these consequences. And it's not something that's out there in someone else or somewhere else. It literally has affected every human being. You know, when we look and see someone who we feel their sin is so much greater than ours or look how messed up, if you will, they are. We, it, according to the scriptures, we don't look and say, well, that must be because they were worse than me. We just begin to understand, no, they're but for the grace of God go I. That's who I could have been, that person. Sin wasn't out there in them and not me. It's just their life circumstances may have been quite different than what we happen to experience. Sin is a problem. Now, why do I tell you this? Because where I want you to finish today is with an incredible degree of rejoicing in your life. The Bible says we should rejoice in Him. Do you know one of the reasons we don't rejoice in God? is because we don't grasp the gravity of what the Bible calls the trespass. Sometimes we do not grasp the gravity of how big a problem sin is. And because of that, we don't rejoice. It's a bit like this. Well, we were over in the U.S., we had um, one of the young adult girls from our church stay in our house and house sit and watch things for us. I want you to imagine we came home, it had been four weeks, and we're like, hey, how would things go? Imagine she greeted us and she said to us, hey, you know, while you are gone, I was checking the mail, I brought it in, and I found a, a bill in the mail, and I just thought, I'll go ahead and pay that for you. Now, how should I respond? Well, it kind of depends on what the bill was, doesn't it? Let's say, what, what, what was it? She's like, well, actually, it was your Netflix bill. You know? And I'm like, now no one actually gets a Netflix bill. <laughs> no one ever gets that in the mail. But let's just pretend that Netflix didn't try to sneakily just keep taking our money, and they actually mailed us a bill. And so... She's like, I mean, I don't know how, like, I've had a Netflix account. And I'm like, I can't even cancel this. I don't know where it is. You know, how do I even get rid of this thing? But let's pretend they mailed us a bill right up front. And she's like, oh, I'd be like, wow. Well, thank you. You know, it's $10. Like, thank you. I appreciate that. It's very thoughtful of you. Now imagine, though, same thing happened. I'm like, oh, you, you paid a bill? Really? What, what did you pay? She's like, oh, actually, it was, it was your mortgage. <laughs> like, Whoa. You you paid our, our mortgage. You paid our mortgage like for the for the whole month? He said, no, no, no. No, I just paid the whole thing. I saw, <laughs> I saw the bill, I thought, why not? Really love you and Lisa and Levi. Thought I'd do that. Would have been, now, how am I gonna react in that moment? I'm be jumping up and down, I'm be hugging, I'm gonna be, woo, you know, like, kill the and calf. Like, do we have a calf? You know? Doesn't matter, we can get one now. So (laughs) the degree of my joy is dependent on the nature of what has been paid. One of the reasons, if you find yourself feeling ambivalent towards God, if you find yourself feeling ambivalent in worship at times, if you find yourself throughout the week that you can only see the nature of the problems in front of you and wonder, why do I have no joy in this moment? So often it's because we have not even grasped the gravity of the nature of the trespass. We haven't grasped the nature of actually how big is the debt that Christ has paid. When you grasp that, it begins to do something. You see, if we only stop where Paul is written right here, wanting us to see the gravity of the trespass, don't you get it in Christ? All of sin, death, it is reigning. It is the defining feature of life is now death itself. There is pain, there is brokenness everywhere. If we stop right here, we'd be left distraught. If we stop right here, and if you have a view of life that this, you know, does not incorporate a hope in God, to be honest, if you face the reality, you just get distraught. Because what's the answer? Paul says, but check this out. Check this out about what God has done for you. He says in verse 15, but the gift, the gift of God's grace is not like the trespass, the gift is not like the trespass. He says, "For if the many died by the trespass of one man, if one choice to disobey God had this kind of far-reaching consequences, that has affected everything, and that was just one person, how much more? Let me hear you say, how much more? Wow. Did the did God's grace and the gift?" that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Paul's gonna go, don't you get this? You, you know, the sin has got consequences. It's, it's, you know, here's what's happened. But you need to understand this about grace. You wanna know why I rejoice? Because the gift is not like the trespass. He goes on in verse 16, and he, and he says, nor can the gift of God, the forgiveness that has come through Christ, nor can this even be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. The gift followed many trespasses, yours, mine, all the trespasses in the whole history of humanity. God's grace followed all of that and brought justification for all. Took care of it, paid the debt. In verse 17, he says, for if by the trespass, of the one man death reigned, if because that one thing death reigned became the dominant, this is its authority unquestioned, if that happened through one man, then how much more? Let me hear you say, how much more? Now, let me hear you say it the way I said it. (laughs) Like like it's kind of exciting and a twinge of an American accent, okay? Can we do that? How How much more? How much more? Will those who receive, say it all you want, keep on going. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, of the gift of righteousness, how much more will we reign in life? Not walk around with our heads down wondering, oh gee, I look at me. And so how much more will we reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? There's a how much more. There's an abundance. There is a picture of life here that is abundant and overflowing right? It's there. We're called to it. It's God's vision for your life that you're not walking around still thinking about what you've done wrong, but you begin to understand the how much more is his grace in your life. Can I tell you something? Here's, and here's the picture that I think a lot, of, a lot of us sometimes, you might be a follower of Christ here and you may have battled with this, or you may be someone who's sort of you know curious about faith and wondering what's the The picture of the scriptures, what's the the vision for life here? You know, a lot of us picture sin like this. Uh, This is a a candle. I want you to just see this one candle. Now we we know sin, it's like a reality in our life. You can see it, it's visible, you can't ignore it. You know it's there. This is that first part Paul's gonna, it's everywhere. It's, it's, you can't kind of get around it. But then the picture that we often have of the scriptures, and this is the good news, is that actually a second candle's come, God's grace come. And God's grace is enough, it's enough for our sins. And it's there, it can meet you, it can, and then, but here's the challenge is sometimes, sometimes we're in Christ and we know the right answers, get it on a test. I'm not talking about like, yeah, if you've, you know, if you've been to church where you've heard this, but you, this isn't about like, oh, I don't know, is, is grace enough or is it not enough? But sometimes we feel that it's more like this, that it's almost like our sins are just a little bit too big. Like I know his grace is there, I know Christ is there, but to be honest right now, I just feel like my sin feels so big. And grace just, I'm sure, like surely God's tired of this. Surely God's finished with me. Surely God's going, or surely like I know his grace is there, but I'm just doing such a, I'm just, I don't know what's going on. I just feel like his, his grace is not enough. Many of us, and there's probably people, you've felt that. I've felt that at times. But then we kind of know, no, I know his grace is enough. I know his grace is enough. My sin may be here, but I know his grace. Can I tell you something? If this is our view of grace, it is not yet the right picture. Paul says the gift, it's not like trespass. He says our gift looks a whole lot more, that if you want to try and get the right picture, it's not candle to candle, it's this right here. It's like the sun to the candle. The sun is God's grace. And you know, somewhere down in that corner is still that little candle or it it was there, but God's grace is so great, it obliterates the candle. Can I just tell you something? You will never rejoice if you think God's grace is like just enough for your sin. But you'll begin to rejoice when you begin to realize, wait, 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 wait. I'm sitting here asking you going, God, is, is it enough? You know, is this enough today? Is that enough for this week? Like, is this really like God? Are you sure? No, God's grace, it just, it's not like the trespass. The trespass, it says, brought condemnation. There were consequences. It deserved. Do you know what grace is? It's not deserved. God's mercy is, is God saying, you know what? The consequences, the wages of sin, it's death. Mercy says you're no longer going to have that. Do you know what grace is? It goes to a whole nother level and says, not only are you not gonna get what you deserve, you're gonna get a whole bunch of other stuff you didn't deserve either. Grace is God's unmerited. We didn't earn it. It's his unmerited favor. It's his unmerited goodness towards us. It's that, oh my goodness, he is love towards me. He's grace towards me. He's for me, not against me. It's this kind of realization that the gift is not like the trespass. You receiving and living in God's grace does not depend on the choices you make. The gift is not like the trespass. The gift is, as he says, it is abundant it is a how much more it's an overflow in fact as we pick it up in verse 20 this is how he continues to unpack it he says you know the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase in other words the law came so that we could get clarity and understand with crystal clarity this is what sin is but where sin increased grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death Just as in sin, death is like this non-negotiable, it's in charge, it's the operative principle. Guess what? So also now grace might reign to bring eternal life through graciousness, to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's good news. Now here's what I want you to get, isn't it? It's so good. I know. I know. Makes you want to run down front. Just get excited. I'm with you. Because you know what this lets us know? No matter how much times you feel like I've blown it one too many. No matter how many times you feel like that, I know God's gracious, but this is too much. No matter how many times you feel like, surely I must have exhausted God's patience with me. Guess what? No, never. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. It abounds, it overflows, it's a how much more. Now here's, here's why we get to rejoice. Because we realize this, that there is like we can walk through life not kind of wondering what if I, you know, what if I blow it up ahead? Or maybe that was one time too many. Maybe God is kind of lost it with me. No, 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 and you know, and when that happens, we start to, we do, we get, but when you actually go, no, 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 (laughs) His grace abounds all the more. You know what, when I mess up, His grace just seems to get greater. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. And it overflows, it's like a how much more. You know, one of the reasons that, for others, one of the reasons sometimes you don't rejoice, you don't live with a joy that just, wells up and overflows because of what Christ has done for you. One of the reasons you don't always live in that space or feel like, yes, I just know and I feel the confidence of faith that Paul imagines here is because we live with a mentality that somehow grace is like a, a finite resource that there won't maybe be enough. You know, when you can't relax, you can't rejoice. Have you ever had people over for, dinner and, you know, you invited them over and you, you thought you sort of prepared how much food you'd need, but then maybe more people came than you expected, or, or maybe you cooked something and it felt like it just shrank, you know, you thought it was going to be a lot of it. You know, I feel like, did anyone ever cook mushrooms and be like, I just, like I just put so many mushrooms in that pan, and then five minutes later, it's like, where'd they all go, you know, it's just like this little bit of mushroom. But sometimes, you know, you have people out for dinner and you sort of like, and then you realize, like, I don't know if there's going to be enough or not. Do you know what? It makes it so hard to actually kind of relax. Because you're sort of like, I don't know, will there be enough? we have enough food? Or, you know, how much you kind of walk and engage and think, what else can I grab out of the cupboard? You can't relax. You can't rejoice. Sometimes we don't rejoice because that's how we feel like God's got a bunch of grace. But I don't know, is it going to be enough or not? When we wrap our minds around, you know what, there is always enough, then you know what? You actually just get to relax. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to just not be able to relax and just to rejoice. And you know, I'm, I'm kind of hardwired. My personality is I'm a perfectionist. So it's just on personality test things, I'm a perfectionist. One of the hard things about that for me is sometimes I don't want to give myself grace because I, I think perfect, should be perfect. There should be perfect by now. Some of you are like, Dean, from what I can observe, you think you're perfect. No, I, don't, I promise I don't. I wrestle with that. And so what it means is sometimes in my relationship with God, I just feel like, no, I don't, like I must have exhausted God, you, if I'm this frustrated that I'm still like this or still, you know, battling with that or, or still just even having to ask you about this or deal, you know, like if, if I'm feeling, God, you must be so just tired of this. But these verses speak to me and remind me, says, no, my grace is abundant. I, my grace is it, it, where, where you sin, where you're broken, it just increases all the more. So rejoice. And be glad. I know there's some of you probably sitting there going, Dean, if you just keep focusing on grace so much, people will just take that as a license. They'll just go out and start to sin all the time. They'll just, whoa, 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 Dean, I know. Can I tell you something? Nothing could be farther from biblical view of faith than that. In fact, Paul, if you read chapter 6, verse 1, he goes... He addresses that exact question. He starts off and he goes, well, so what does this mean? We should just sin all the more so that grace will abound all the more? And he's like, by no means. He's like, that's a silly idea. Anyone who thinks that now it becomes a license to do whatever, never understood the depth of the trespass. They never understood grace to begin with. But when you actually understand the, the nature of where we're at, the nature of of God's grace towards us. And when you begin to actually experience the freedom, the absolute freedom and joy, to know that where sin increases, grace abounds all the more, no matter what we do, there's an abundance, there's an overflow, there's a how much more, that actually my sins, the things I've done wrong, the things that I'm still feel like, God, I'm such a work in progress here, I wish I was further, all that stuff, it's like grace just comes along like the sun and just blows it out of the water. and says, "You." Follower of Christ, live with some calcathema, some rejoicing, some boasting, some unusually high degree of confidence, not in yourself, but in Christ and in what he's done. And that when we live there, oh, we become whole different kind of people. Can I tell you something? I think this world is hungering and thirsting for people who are full of that kind of grace. I think there's no greater witness in this world than people who have been so recipients of grace that then just begin to pour it out and never worry about what if I give all that grace? for? what about that person? If I show grace here, maybe they'll, I don't know what's gonna happen. No, 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 grace is like an unending resource. So you don't need to worry about it. Just show some grace. You know, we can't be a people who live with peace and rejoicing and show grace to others until we've gotten it ourselves. And the great thing is, the more we get it ourselves, the more we begin to realize, like, whoa, whoa, this is the gravity of the trespass. These are my choices. This is who I am. That's how bad this. That's how. That's how bad I am. The world's like, well, you'll just don't don't tell yourself how bad you are. You just feel bad. But the 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 amazing kind of you know paradox of this is like, as we understand, no, this is who I was and who I am apart from Christ, and it's bad. It's not good. But when I also then hold on, but this is the abundance of His grace. Now joy and grace are produced in me. And now when I see someone else that I might have been tempted to not show grace towards, I'm able to go, you know what, actually they started right where I did. I bet they need the grace of God just as much as I do. How can I be a recipient and a beacon and a conduit of God's grace in this world? And actually as I'm walking with joy and as people know what it's like to be around you, then they get to get a taste of what it's like to live with a super abundance of God's grace in your life. Oh, yeah, even in hard times. Do you know what I know? God's favor is towards me. Life may be rough at the moment, but God's grace is still with me in it. His unmerited favor I know with confidence is with me. So I'm going to invite the team to come back up. And I want to pray for you this morning. And I want to pray especially uh, for anyone who's there and, 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 and you know, you may be a little bit like me that at times you, you wrestle with the grace of God in your life. Or feel resistant or hesitant to actually just receive it. And somehow it just ends up in your head. It feels like, you know, my shortcomings are so big. And I know God's grace is there. But somehow, and, and of course you know it's not the right thing. But it's just you feel it. Or anyone who's here and you just say, you know what, I want, I want to live in that kind, I want that kind of joy, that kind of rejoicing. Because when you got that kind of confidence in God's grace, boy, you walk through life different. You know, when you live like that, it changes how you walk, it changes how you talk, it changes how you'll, you'll sing on a Sunday, it'll change how you'll go to work on a Monday, it'll change how you experience a challenge that gets thrown at you on Tuesday. It'll, It just changes things. But it doesn't come from sort of Living in a space where, man, I hope it's just enough. It comes as we begin to experience more of who He is. Can I invite you to stand? And I want to pray especially for you. And we're going we're gonna to sing in a moment, we're going to sing this song that talks about this is who God is. God is He is faithful. He is patient. He is kind. He is love. And what I wanna encourage every person, if you're here today, if you believe those words, sing them with certainty and with clarity. Don't just even sing them, declare them. You know, sing with a bit of that kind of rejoicing in your spirit at who got it. And if you're someone who's here today and you just think, you know what? God, I want you to pour out a fresh revelation of the abundance of your grace in my life. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you because I'm, the joy and freedom that comes from that kind of a just fresh revelation of the superabundance of his grace and what it does and i'd love to pray for you especially and so if that is you what i'm going to ask you to do is just you know it may just be one person but boy you know that one's for you today as we sing this just to come to the front and you can come to the front and just sing here and just trust that in that moment god's going to be beginning to just pour something into your life Lift your hands to him maybe or kneel before him and just ask him, God, I want that kind of confidence in your grace in my life. I want to be a rejoicing kind of person. I want to live with just a revelation of the superabundance of your grace. And then I'm just gonna pray over you as we sing that, as we worship. But in this moment, can we stop? Maybe even bow your head. Begin to just bow your head or open your hands before him. Lord, we ask that today that you would bring something a word to each one of us. And Lord, if there's anyone here who knows today that you're wanting to say to them, I want you to have a fresh understanding, a fresh experience of my patience, of my grace, of its super abundance, its how much more, its overflow in their life. Lord, anyone who needs to understand that the gift is not like the trespass. There's no more keeping score here. There's no more uh, scorecard you're looking at. Your gift, your grace, it just blows it all out of the water. And Lord, for anybody who's, Today, you wanna say to them, I want you to live with a greater confidence in that, an unusually high degree of certainty. I pray they'd know that voice, that even in these moments, as we just worship you for who you are, Lord, you'd be doing something in their heart. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing.